We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Glad you could be here with us tonight. We're going to look in Acts chapter 5, verse 17 and following. In this portion of Scripture, the Bible records the second persecution uh, of the church. We saw the uh, first uh, after uh, the lame man was healed in chapter 3. Peter and John were arrested in chapter 4 and uh, were forbidden to preach the gospel of Christ. And uh, that... uh, kind of fell on deaf apostolic ears, didn't it? And we're going to see the same again here tonight. Basically, this passage in Acts chapter 5 records that the church was greatly successful, but opposition arose against them. And uh, you can see in chapter 5, verse 11, great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. This was about Ananias and Sapphira. Verse number 12, many signs and wonders were done, and they were all together with uh, one accord in Solomon's porch. Verse 14, we looked at these last week a little bit. Believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, and then uh, more healings happened and, and multitudes gathered and so on. So as much as the authorities began to try to squeeze on the church, guess what happened? They didn't squeeze the life out of it. They squeezed more life into it, uh, and it, it spread and, and grew. Um, it's a funny thing. I think sometimes God uses human nature to um, bring people around. Like as soon as you tell somebody not to do something, then they'll want to do it. So if the authorities are saying, look, don't get involved with this Christian thing, well, people might just start to look into it and say, well, (laughs) I don't believe those guys. I better look into this and see what's right about it because something's happening here. And so perhaps God used uh, some of that. But anyway, the church was succeeding, but more opposition arose against them. So Let's read in chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is of the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of, of the prison, the prison doors, and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those uh, with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside." Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. Follow along in verse 25. So one came and joined 
uh, sorry, and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They were, you know, kind of Star Trek transported out, it seems like, of the prison and over to uh, wherever they were, and then they went to the temple. And the captain went out to the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? So in chapter 5, or sorry, chapter um, 4, it's verse 18. It says, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. They didn't give a lot of good reasons for that. They just didn't want them to teach in the name of Jesus anymore. We'll look at that as well in a moment. So... They said, you know, you're not, you're not listening to us. You haven't obeyed us. Um, and look, you filled Jerusalem, verses, middle of verse 28. You filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Well, just exactly whose hands would his blood be on? Pray tell. <laughs> There's only a limited number of suspects here. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Yes, you did it. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one of the council stood up a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. Gamaliel, by the way, is a name that comes down to us in history, not just in the Bible, but a well-known Jewish teacher. Uh, probably, I don't know the timeline, but I'm quite certain that he was of some age at this point, highly esteemed. And he said to them, verse 35, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So they didn't stop as they were told to stop. They just kept right on doing it. Doesn't it seem a little bit disingenuous that they liked Gamaliel's advice, leave them alone, just let it go, and then they came back and beat them anyway and commanded them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus? They, they didn't quite exactly follow his advice, did they? Well, in the initial verses here, 17 to 28, uh, we have the narrative of the apostles preaching and their second imprisonment. And I've noted in my, my notes here, which are available on the website if you're interested in them, sometimes non-Christian people get very mad when you preach Christ. Uh, in fact, sometimes irrationally so. 
They won't get so mad if you, if you speak to them about Buddha or Gandhi or uh, uh, Muhammad or something like that. But when you start to talk about the Lord, about Christ, people can get a little upset and hot under the collar. Especially this is the case when the church has high esteem among the populace and people are being added to the church as in uh, we've read in 5.13 to 14. So they were mad, the leaders were, that their orders were not followed. They were mad that people were doing so well in the church, that the church was growing, and they just couldn't seem to stop it no matter what, they, what you know, weak uh, methods they tried. They were mad that their council's orders were not followed and mad that the apostles were, at least in part, blaming the death of Jesus on them. Now, yes, let me just say this because this comes up even today. Uh, if you're aware of history at all, um, Jewish people are dreadfully opposed to, say, Catholics because they think, you know, because rightly they think Catholics treated them as Christ killers throughout history and they have persecuted the Jewish people throughout history. Um, and they expect when they read the New Testament, for example, that they're going to find uh, a bunch of negative things against Jewish people. And um, I was just listening to a couple of um, advert- advertisements for, I can't think of what it's called, the Ministry in Israel. And it has Jewish people on there who, who explain, look, I, I started to read the, the Bible. I, read the, I found Isaiah 53 and I read the New Testament and I expected to find a book of hatred against Jews. And what did I find? but our Messiah. God opened their eyes to that. So, but it is true that Jewish people in this time period, particularly their leaders, had a hand in killing Jesus. The history is clear about that, right? Okay. They are blameworthy. However, their sins do not transfer down the family tree to their sons and daughters in the future, as if we can blame Jews today generally for doing that wicked act. Right? The sons will not suffer for the sins of the fathers. The fathers will not suffer for the sins of their sons. That's a clear teaching, by the way, out of the Hebrew Bible or what we call the Old Testament. And so, and we believe that very thoroughly. Anyone who thinks that Jews today are Christ killers are badly wrong. Now, Jews today who do not believe in Jesus are lost and in need of divine grace. Just like Gentiles who do not believe in Jesus are lost and in need of divine grace. Same. Okay? Salvation arose from the Jews, but it's equally applicable to Jews and to, to Gentiles. But Jewish people are not to be called out as especially worthy of reproach on account of what their forefathers did. And I quickly remind us that the Gentile forefathers also participated in the killing of Christ, did they not? Yes, they did, through the Roman authorities. So uh, there's not just one monolithic you know, group of people that are to blame here for the work of Christ. And in fact, we know that it was our sin that hung him there, all of our sin, all of humanity's sin. If he didn't have that sin, he wouldn't have gone there. It's our fault, our fault. We come then to uh, verse 29 when uh, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Okay, so uh, this comes up a lot. Uh, We had a little bit of this back in 2020 when we had to decide if we're going to open church or not in uh, opposition to the wishes of the authorities, which we did. 
many churches did. We may be forced to disobey the civil authority someday yet again. How do we tell when that is the right thing to do? Well, when scriptural boundaries of their authority are crossed and they are commanding you to do things or not do things that are clearly contrary to God's word and will. You may not worship corporately, they say. We say, oh yes, we shall worship corporately because that's what God calls us to do. We say, with all due respect, in this area, you have no authority. That is not yours to have authority over in the secular government. That is the area of God's authority. We render unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, and we render to God the things that belong to God. And when you step over in this domain, null and void. Okay, This in the Bible is a clear-cut example. The Lord told them in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. And the, Pharisee, or the Sadducees chief priest is saying, you shall not be his witnesses. The Lord said, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. The devil said, you will not surely die. It doesn't take a lot of rocket science to figure out when God says one thing and somebody else says not that thing, there's a difference. <laughs> There's a big difference. So they were told to be witnesses in uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 20. Notice what we read there. It said, the angel came and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So they could have said, look, should we obey the word the angel just told us last night or should we obey you? The angel who's from God, by the way. Well, the answer is clear. Clearly, God gets priority. Again, things belong to God and other things belong to Caesar. Gospel preaching clearly belongs to God. Some have asked, well, what about taxes and higher taxes and ever high, higher tax rates? They're not clear-cut examples, even if some of that money is used by the federal government for things that you don't appreciate. What about the government commanding you to provide abortion services? Well, that's clear-cut. Government commanding abortion, like in China's forced one-child policy, is clear-cut. It's not something that Christians can ever be involved in or support because God said you shall not murder, and abortionists say it's fine to murder. Okay, again, a very clear-cut example. I heard a lady on the ACLU on the radio, uh, was it earlier today or yesterday, prattling on about how we have to maintain a full slate of reproductive rights for women in Michigan, and that means a full access to abortion, and I just shut, shut the radio off. I just, I'm not going to listen to that nonsense. That is sick. Sick in the head. It's, it's darkness. It's immoral. The text makes here the bold stance of the apostles crystal clear. We are not going to listen to you, they say. The authority of the chief priests and the scribes and the council did not extend to them in this matter. So they didn't have to go away from the council feeling somehow guilty, like, oh man, we're supposed to obey them, but we're supposed to obey God, and we told them no, and maybe we shouldn't have done that, and that wasn't too nice and all that. No, they don't have to have any thought like that whatsoever. No, no Mr. Nice Guy. You just say, look, your authority objectively doesn't extend to this part, this line. We're not listening to it. We're not going to have a guilty conscience about it. We're, not, we're just not going to process it that way. We're going to just move on with life. 
So then they uh, give a little summary here in verses 30 to 32 of the good news. And this is a, a good little thing to study and think about, memorize even. Look at 530 to 32. Jewish leaders were guilty of the murder of Jesus by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up. So I've, put, I've actually swapped 30A and 30B. I put them in chronological order. So first they murdered, but that's in the second half of 30. And then God raised him up. That's in the first half of verse 30. Furthermore, not only did God raise him up from the dead, but God exalted Jesus to his right hand as prince and savior. Remember uh, in Acts 7, we're not there yet, but if you remember from your Bible reading, when uh, Stephen gave his long speech and then they stoned him, who did he see? When he opened it, his eyes, looked, his, eyes, his eyes looked up to heaven, rather. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, waiting to receive him, and he entered into heaven. Jesus then further, uh, Peter says, and the others, uh, was exalted. Notice this. In order to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, the means and the result is listed here, are, are listed here in the text. The means God exalted his Savior, his, his Son, to be Prince and Savior. He died, he rose again, he's exalted, ascended, he's exalted in order to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Yes, we repeat again, repentance is part of the gospel of Christ. This is repentance and forgiveness of sins. What do you think repentance has to do with? Well, it has to do with sins. Sins, sins. <laughs> Those are the things we need forgiveness from. And those are the things we repent from, sins. So repentance is part of the gospel of God's grace. The apostles, he says, we are witnesses to these things. And interestingly, notice this. We are witnesses, and so also is the Holy Spirit. A witness? The Holy Spirit is a witness? How does that work? Well, the Holy Spirit is a witness because he comes to indwell every believer and through them testifies of the glories and the grace of Christ. Okay, that is the ministry of the Spirit. And the text tells us then that the Spirit is working through those uh, he lives within to themselves be witnesses. The Spirit of God also witnesses or testifies to the unbeliever. Remember John 16, which says that he will, uh, I lost the verb in my mind, he will convict, that's what I'm looking for, the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. Elenko in Greek, he will or convict the world of those things. So he's really, in a, he's really actively working as well, the Spirit of God is. And then we uh, in, are indicated here at the end of verse 32, the Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. Now, obey is obedience of the faith. Okay, are you with me? The obedience of the faith. It doesn't mean that some Christians who are really good get the Spirit and other Christians don't get the Spirit. Every Christian has the Spirit of God dwelling in them because to be a Christian, you have to obey the gospel. Now, we don't perfectly obey. None of us do but we obey the gospel. We can say we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We acknowledge he's our Lord and Savior. We repent of our sins. We trust God has 
given him so that we can have eternal life and be in his kingdom and that he can redeem all things to himself and bring uh, in one all things uh, in his, under his name, under his l- rulership in that future age. So everybody who is a believer receives the Holy Spirit. That closes the case as far as I'm concerned. There are other texts too. I mean, uh, we've all been baptized into one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Romans 8, 9, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. So it's very clear there in the text. Verses 33 through 40, the apostles are beaten, but along the way, Gamaliel gives a piece of advice that was seasoned with the wisdom of years. He saw the fury of the other leaders, but he had recollection because of his long experience. And I think he goes back some, some decades, Thutis and Judas. Again, I didn't look up the timeline. I've done that before, but uh, it was uh, a while back, not just in the last couple of months. And he says, look, these guys came to nothing. Just chill. <laughs> Take it easy. Don't worry about it, okay? It's, it's going to be all right. Um, and so if, if it was of man, it was just going to peter out, no pun intended. If it was of God, then your efforts against it would be null and void because it was going to happen regardless if the sovereignty of God is behind it. So they said, yeah, that's great, fine. But then they stepped outside of their boundaries and beat the apostles. Now, just how did they do that? Did they do it with uh, 40 stripes save one? Uh, Did they do it in accordance with the law of Moses that they had witnesses and they had, uh, you know, a a trial and they, or did they just kind of, you know, kind of wing it, you know, and just beat them because they wanted to beat them? They thought, like Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse number 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God a service. They thought they were offering God service, but they were not. Now, at the moment here on the apostles' side, civil disobedience was not possible for them because why? Because their bodies were under the authority of others who had the mastery over them and they beat them. Okay, now, they could take that beating um, you know, quietly and submissively. But later on, civil disobedience did become possible because they were free then and they could preach the gospel, which they did. So the leaders command the apostles once again not to talk about Jesus. The whole thing strikes me as childish. Um, coming from a Western mindset and freedom of speech, heritage and all of that, like, just let them talk. If you don't have anything better than just beating people, sheer uh, force of authority, you need to grow up. This is childish stuff. But isn't that how it works today? Don't, they, you know, people don't uh, deal with the substance. They just want to shut down the other side, put them in jail, not have to deal with it, don't let them use their freedom. So they don't, these guys didn't get their way, so they threaten and use violence and tell the disciples not to talk anymore, no more freedom of speech. Don't they have any more substance than that to them? Don't they have anything better to do, like maybe teaching the law and running the temple in a godly way like they're supposed to do or 
Or, oh, they're too busy running the business of the money changers in the temple and those selling doves and, and sheep and all of that to, to worry about something small like teaching God's Word, which is what they were told to do in the Old Testament. Uh, we, there's a lot of room for, humanly speaking, for disdain for these ones who were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. Well, Gamaliel, by the way, was something of a prophet of sorts without knowing it, wasn't he? If this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if, if it's of God, you, can't, you cannot fight against it unless you found it be even fighting against God. And indeed, they did not overthrow it. According to Gamaliel's wise words then, it is clear that the way, the Christian way, was a work of God. It hasn't been overthrown by the by Satan or human authorities in 2,000 years. Of course, that doesn't mean that everything that says it's a work of God is a work of God. Just thinking about other cults that have lasted a long time. Oh, how I wish they hadn't or didn't because it would make our lives uh, just that much easier to not have to talk to the Mormons and the JWs and the Muslims and the Buddhists and the, all the, you know, the Confusionists, <laughs> I say jokingly, but it's just crazy how many different systems of thought there are out there. Well, anyway, I'm going to get myself in trouble, aren't I? Um, look at 41 and 42. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy. Now, they didn't think themselves to be worthy. Notice what it says. They were counted worthy. Who did the counting? Passive verb. They were counted. So who's the agent of the passive verb? It's often the case that when the passive verb is silent as to the agent, it's often God. God counted them worthy. What did Paul say? I thank God that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He counted God, uh, God counted Paul faithful. God counted these men uh, worthy to suffer shame for his name. And so this was a confidence builder for them in their own state of salvation and their ministry. They they knew they were doing something right to make the enemy mad. God considered them up to the task of suffering, shame, now, before Jesus had allowed them to be scattered but not to, be, not to suffer, remember? He said, I've kept them that you've given to me. I've kept them in, in your name. And, and then they were scattered, I think, because he wanted them to be protected from the very forceful persecution that he was about to suffer himself and that they wouldn't have to suffer that as well. But some months later now, they were the ones suffering because they were ready to be able to take it. Now, just a, a note, sometimes I've observed this, people think they are receiving some injustice, which is not an injustice necessarily, but they're receiving some ill treatment, and they automatically think, well, that must mean I'm being persecuted and that must mean that I'm doing the right thing. No, it might mean you're doing the wrong thing. It might be, as Peter said, you know, it's, it's a good thing if you're beaten for doing good. But if you're beaten for ill behavior, there's nothing uh, good about that. It's shameful. Nothing good about that. So maybe you need to ask somebody who's more objective observer, say, you know, do you really think that I'm, I'm being persecuted or, or is this just a persecution complex that I have? Maybe a persecution complex. Daily, 
they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news about Christ, and they did this in large gatherings and in homes, daily in the temple and in every house. See that? Large gatherings and in every house, smaller gatherings. Well, the text prepares the church for the reality. I'm, I'm saying that prepares the church, the future church, us, prepares us for the reality of persecution and suffering in the name of Christ. Christ told them it would happen, and it did, and it will continue. Luke's text also prepares us as to how to respond when authorities tell us not to preach Christ. We simply ignore them and keep on doing what God has called us to do. Okay? Now, does this mean there, there are boundaries on this? I mean, does this mean that you spend all your time at work preaching Christ? No, you spend all your time at work working. And then you use your lunchtime and your after work and weekends to minister the gospel. Of course, there's a little small talk at work and you can put in a good word, but you know, you can't break into a half hour homily on the things of Christ when you're supposed to be doing your job. Okay? So uh, there's a time and there's a place. Even Paul, remember, uh, he had to make tents with uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And then when help came from Thessalonica and other places and provided funds for him, then he could break away from that work and spend more time preaching in the synagogues uh, and the gospel, preach the gospel in the synagogue. So there's a time and a place for it. Um, in terms of now Luke's purpose in writing, remember he, who, to whom is he writing? Remember the guy's name he's writing to? Theophilus, okay? So in terms of his purpose of writing to Theophilus, what does this do for the, for the letter? Well, it shows Theophilus the ongoing success and challenges both of the young church as well as the unreasonableness of the authorities in attacking the church. The leaders are clearly concerned about reputation and power, not about truth, not about remission of sins, not about repentance, the apostles brought God's word and will to bear on the matter. They talked all about Jesus and what God has commanded them to do and all of that, but the leaders only brought mere authority and power to the table. No reasoned explanation for why they were commanding this. No uh, opposition from Deuteronomy, say, that you're false prophets or anything like that. They just said, you're not doing what we want you to do, so just line up with what we want and get it done. But they didn't. So giving Theophilus a lot to think about here, uh, showing the unreasonableness of the religious leaders back in the day that uh, would give him second thought as to, you know, if, if he was a, in a responsible leadership position, maybe he needed to think about how he was approaching his treatment of Christians in his domain as well. So hopefully... Uh, Hopefully Theophilus was well benefited from this as well as all the other chapters in, in Acts. All right, let's pray tonight. Lord, we've come to the end of our evening. We've thought about the Bible a little bit tonight. We've spent some time reading and before that praying. Lord, I pray now you, you know the names that are coming into my mind of people who I'm thinking of and praying for. Would you touch their hearts? Would you bring uh, good into their lives, draw them close to yourself, to one another, to each other here in the church and so on, for our family members? Lord, help us to be clear-headed about this 
that we're just going to obey you when it's uh, regarding your things, that we're going to continue to be witnesses of Christ Jesus and what he's done for us and for others, of how he died on the cross and that you raised him from the dead and set him at your right hand and that he's coming back and that he's been given in order to bring repentance and forgiveness of sins. Thank you for this. Lord, we commend ourselves to you in this truth and pray you'd help us to take it with us in Jesus' name. Amen.